Get your motor running, sports movie fans, and thanks a lot for downloading the 45th conversation in the Scoring at the Movies series. Every two weeks, we analyze old flicks that feature balls, bats, sticks, gloves, and in some cases, steering wheels. And we spoil every quarter mile of them. I'm the corona-tolerating double agent who relies on performance-enhancing NOS and has a big old crush on Jordana Brewster, and I did back then, Ryan Ellis. And here's my street-racing brother, who never narked on nobody and lives his life four-tenths of a kilometer at a time. I can't do his voice, I'm sorry. Chris DiGregorio. Thanks, Ryan. Are you saying you don't have a crush on Jordana Brewster? Anymore? I did, back then, for sure. No, not anymore? I haven't seen her in a while. She hasn't been in these movies for a little while. She's going She's to be back. in the one that comes out yeah. in a couple of months. She is one of those actresses that has become, if anything, more attractive with age, I think. Interesting that you didn't choose to go for the musical approach to that, the get your motor run and... I mean, you're the vocalist of the two of us. I would have thought that that would have been a perfect... That would have been too easy if I actually sang it. Yeah, fair enough. That was part of the point. Uh, I had a whole thing going about how I was late because I had to stop to race for pinks on the way over and lost, but the winner didn't want my car because it's such a piece of crap. (laughs) But I realized it didn't really make sense because they wouldn't race me anyway, so the logic of it just all fell apart, and... If we learned anything from watching this movie, it's that... And we did not. <laughs> we, no, we didn't. But we know now that street racing and any telling of street racing needs to be airtight in its logic or storytelling. Otherwise, it's not going to make it onto the screen, right? Because yeah. if there's one thing this movie does well, it's tell a well-drafted, well-rounded, well-thought-out story that'll really bring you to tears by the end of it. We did Point Break two weeks ago, and now we're doing this movie. It is a theme month. This was also free. Well, for me, it was, at least, on Crave here in Canada. So that's one reason why. And I didn't even realize when I suggested we do it, that Fast, we talked about this upstairs, 10 now? Fast 9. Well, right, Fast 9, but it's the 10th in the series because yeah. of Hobbs and Shaw last year. It comes out May 22nd of this very year. Point of order, every time you mention what streaming service we watch the movie on, just make sure that we put in a little pause there so you can edit it out unless Bell Media decides to throw you a little <laughs> sweetener for the free advertising. They've come through for us and even movies I've done with Bev, but especially you and I. We've done a few that I saw there and thought, why don't we just do this one? And it's free on <laughs> demand. I didn't know it was going to be free on demand. And this is a great example you're, of that. You're really given a, a lot of detail about the deeply thought out I haven't done this before. Have. If I can find something for free, I will use it. If it applies, and that goes for both of the podcasts, this one and the one with Bev. Okay, so yeah. this is a movie, or at least a series, that loves beer. We do not have the Coronas, but we both have a beer. This is the first time I've drank a beer in a long time. What are you drinking first? I went with the Red Racer IPA because okay. I thought that was a cute little tie-in to this, and then you asked me if I had any Corona, and I thought, damn it! How what did I you, miss that most obvious that? tie-in? But I do have a Mill Street Organic, which is even better anyway, so. It's like Here we go, ready? Oh, I was a little sooner than you. I wanted to pace it out a little bit there. But it's like you always tell me anytime I come over is that I can have any beer I want as long as it's a Mill Street Organic, right? <laughs> it's the one we have the most of up there. Yeah. I will put in the old frosted glass. And then you hand me Bev's beer and tell me it's hers and to enjoy she it very likes, much. Was it Bud Light with lime or something else like that? Or one of the shitty old ones with lime. Lime does help beer, I will admit that, including Corona. That is one of my favorite moments in this movie. Do you want to come in for a beer? <laughs> Paul Walker's head poking back behind the bush like, yeah, sure. And he doesn't go to the fridge to get him a new mm-hmm. beer. He gives him the open, sucked-on beer from Vinny. Yeah, from <laughs> Vince. Nobody needs to have babies in this series, by the way, although eventually babies would come, especially with Paul Walker and Jordana Brewster's characters. Because Vince is the biggest baby in the world, at least the first half of this movie. Not that I need to be clear on any point of story in any of this movie, because it's purely an excuse to throw up a lot of cars and ass on the screen. It's like the answer to the question, what if cars with exhausts that made a lot of noise and undercar LED lighting were really cool instead of just really obnoxious. That's the question this is trying to the answer. The underlighting thing I think is okay. Well, I'm I not get... a car guy and I do find this movie incredibly obnoxious and really the whole series to be honest with you. But the underlighting thing, I can get behind that. I would never use it myself. I mean, but when you have cars that look as cool as this and people as good looking as people especially like Paul Walker driving them, 
I can get behind that. If you put a little undercar lighting under the Kia, maybe slip into a pair of Michelle Rodriguez's shorts, I think you could pull it off, right? <laughs> Not the It's shorts. worth a shot. With that little segue, I totally freaking forgot what the hell I was going to talk about to begin with before I went off to the table. Well, did you like the movie? Because I had not seen this movie okay. since 2001 when it came out in the theater. I looked at my old notes. I gave it a 6 out of 10. I'm going to tell you right now. I would give it now more like a 5 out of 10. Yeah, Maybe fair. because I find this series to be irritating and obnoxious. And I know some people that said this is her favorite series of any of them. I assume she means Star Wars, Back to the Future, Godfather. Yeah. That's fine if she likes this one the most, but I don't get it because it's got to be really stupid. The Rock definitely helped the series when he came in, I think, in Fast Five. No doubt about that. Some of the other actors have helped out too and made it even better. Unfortunately, they lost Paul Walker during the filming of Furious 7. I was never yeah. a big fan of his, but I don't want to see the 40 or whatever year old guy he was die. But I just don't really care, I guess, in the end. Well, the thing you're going to hear in the sequels, you don't really hear in this one, I guess, is family, family, family. And of course, drinking Coronas when they're celebrating. That yeah. is a theme that is just over and over in these movies. And that's fine. I guess that's supposed to make you care, but I just never really have. Well, yeah, this movie I don't think does a great job of making you care about much of anybody or anything. Is this the fifth highest grossing franchise in history now or something? That makes sense. I don't know if it actually is, but it's got to be up there. Well, I've got some numbers right here. Every one of the movies in this series has succeeded. The only one that didn't pass $200 million worldwide, I don't even mean adjusted for inflation, I mean actual money, was Tokyo Drift Part 3, which didn't have Diesel and didn't have Walker. Right. And it still succeeded, just not as much as those ones. Hobbs and Shaw last year did very well. The Fate of the Furious and Furious 7 made over a billion dollars worldwide. And Hobbs and Shaw, for a spinoff, did have The Rock and Jason Statham, who are very beloved in the movie business, did extraordinarily well. One of the most successful in the whole series as well. Years ago, I think before Hobbs and Shaw came out, I read it was definitely in the top ten of movie franchises. Well, that makes sense, because there have been so many of them. It's not as big as Harry Potter, not as big as Star Wars, but definitely bigger than some of the other ones I just said, like the Back to the Future. There's only been three of those. There's no way that's higher ranked than this. I guess Bond probably outdoes this. It must, with all the movies they've had. Especially if you adjusted it for inflation. It's kind of tough to criticize the franchise. or or No, it's not. Okay, well... It undercuts the criticism, then, let's say, of any one movie in the franchise, because you point out all the flaws, and there are many. But at the end of the day, they're making these movies to rake in dough. Ain't nobody out there that's arguing that any movie in the Fast and Furious franchise is doing it because it has a story to tell, or because they're looking for awards, or anything. It is purely a money grab. There is one person. Vin Diesel. Oh, well, Vin yeah. Diesel really does think these movies have been worthy of Oscars. Maybe technically some of them would have been. The more recent ones were worthy of has sound, he, has sound he really effects. Has really said that? I've read that. People say that he's, <laughs> his ego is just that big. Vin Diesel is one of those people I think his guy's head up his ass about his own career. Look at the way he's feuded with The Rock, who for all of his success doesn't seem to have ever really let it get to his head. I don't think so anyway. When he was a wrestler, he wasn't like that, and apparently not as a movie star. Yet they have a feud going, so if I'm going to side with one of them, it's probably going to be The Rock. The Rock at least has a sense of humor about the movies he's done that are crap. He'll make fun of himself before anyone else. I hadn't heard that before about Vin Diesel, but it's interesting to hear because, as I understand it, the only reason he ever came back to the franchise to begin with was because his first reappearance, which I think was like a post-credit to Tokyo Drift yeah, or something. Yeah, three, yeah. He missed only two yeah. fully, and he was barely in three, but he was enough you can call the only one they actually missed being part two, which did have Walker. And then Walker missed three because he wasn't in it at all and he died while they made part seven part so he seven. won't be in the rest of them but he had been in all of them other than three so it was really more his series it was and the only reason like i said that vin diesel came back to begin with at the end of three even for that little post-credit sequence to make the money i can't well, do that voice. you can't do it you're gonna hurt yourself i can see it in the eyes he wanted the rights to the riddick franchise right. they agreed to give him those rights if he would come back to do that little cameo at the end and i guess at that point they started backing up dump trucks full of money to him he's not made of stone <laughs> <laughs> oh what i say i said the <laughs> internal thing loud and the external thing soft well diesel in this time frame made this movie and he made pitch black the year before which i actually enjoy a lot pitch, pitch black, black it's not yeah. bad yeah the sequel's terrible but the first one's yeah chronicles i saw it again the second time only a year or so ago it's all right the other one he made in this time frame would have been triple x and yep. the one he wanted to do of the three of them why he couldn't do at least two of them i don't know maybe conflicts and schedule but he didn't want to do this one badly enough to continue doing it. I'm sure That's he right. enjoyed it. Obviously, he must have enjoyed it if he came back to make this many. And now this is pretty much all he does anymore. He's obviously the voice of Groot in the Marvel movies. <laughs> and God knows the voiceover sessions for his recording of Groot must just be strenuous and endless. In fairness to him, apparently he does the foreign I Am Groot as well. And also, apparently what it says in the script is not I Am Groot. It'll say, Rocket, you got to save me from this whatever. But he's got to do it with that kind of tone. I'm not trying to say it's hard. 
But it's a little bit harder than we think it is to do the I Am Groot thing. Oh, yeah, Still would probably be a matter of weeks or days to do it. Obviously, Bradley Cooper is Rocket has more to do. But anyway, Vin Diesel had those three franchises back in this time frame and chose to do only the Riddick one, which is probably the most interesting character of the three for him. But it's the movie that was the biggest failure of those three at that time. Triple X did quite well around the same time frame. But he came back to that franchise, too. And then started skiing through the jungle or whatever the hell in the most recent Triple X movie which was the most ridiculous and unnecessary return to a franchise I That's remember. the problem with this series. And I know that that person I mentioned a few minutes ago who loves these series wouldn't agree with this statement at all. And that's not so true about this first one. But as they've gone along, they got so ridiculous. I guess they know they are, although maybe Vin Diesel doesn't know that they are. <laughs> the directors right. must, the writers must, The Rock and the other actors must. But they got to be so dumb. And that's one reason why I've only ever seen all of them one time, except for this one, I don't think ever on the big screen. I've either seen them for free or I've rented them or gotten from the library, whatever, is that it's just so absurd, but not silly enough. We talked about Point Break two weeks ago as a silly film. Maybe the filmmakers didn't think it was silly, but we can appreciate it on a relatively serious level in the bank robbery stuff and the chase scenes and all that. But then also Keanu Reeves' performance is not far away from being absurd and even bad. Gary Busey. Gary Busey, though, does redeem the movie a lot. And Patrick Swayze's great in that film, actually. If anyone went into that thinking Point Break was going to be silly, it was Gary Busey, 100%. Probably so. And here's an unofficial remake of that. Yeah. It's the same storyline, really, right down to letting the guy go at the end. Brian O'Connor lets Dominic Toretto take the car he owes him. That's one nice payoff, good writing there, where he owes him a 10-second car, even says that, gives him his keys. Dom drives off. Brian's left holding his dick in his hands while the cops are coming. And the movie just goes to the credits. Yeah, strangely explicit scene for a PG-13 movie, too. Mm. Just him Not hanging. jerking it, though. That's why. Not, oh, it's not erect. He was flaccid. Yeah. That was it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but this seems like such a non-ending. I guess they must have thought they'd make a sequel at that point. But this wasn't really the time when you made sequels absolutely for sure if a movie succeeded. The way it's been since, I don't know, maybe four or five years after this. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I guess sequels are pretty common, weren't they? But it just ends... Without really being over with, they must have realized they'd make more. And Walker, I don't even know how two goes, but he had to deal with other people in the next movie. Maybe that makes some sense. But his resolution with Dom is just not done. And had Diesel not been reinterested in these movies or been given a truckload of money, he's not made of stone, (laughs) then their story wouldn't have been finished. And God help us all if we didn't get a resolution to the story of Dom, what's his name, Toretto? Because I would not be able to sleep at night if I didn't know how his story ended. Well, the new one, I don't think this is giving anything. No, it's not giving anything away. It's been in the trailer. John Cena is his brother. Yeah. Which I I like a lot. We're going to have twins at some point. Vin Diesel's going to play two guys. It'll be Dom and Fred or something like that. Fred Toretto. Toretto. (laughs) It'll be the high-pitched version. Hi, I'm Fred Toretto. (laughs) I hate you. I also hate John Cena, our older or younger brother. So he'll be small, skinny, have a ton of hair and a super high-pitched voice, and that'll be Fred Toretto. And his head won't be directly up his ass. That's right. You pointed out something really important, especially since we did Point Break last, in that it's a stupid concept, a silly movie that seems to think it's a serious movie. I only saw the first three of these in the theater, I think. I don't think I saw the fourth one in the theater. Oh, I may have seen two in the theater, come to think of it, by the way, but only the first two then. I didn't like Tokyo Drift at all, but that's largely because it was so disconnected from everything else in the franchise Mm -hmm. that I didn't care even at that point. The second one I liked a lot more than this one because it seemed to accept that, okay, our movies are kind of like a little bit dumb and we're just here for flash and show. And so guys like Tyrese and Ludacris in that movie added a little bit more levity to the franchise than Paul Walker is able to inject, or Vin Diesel certainly is able to inject. But this first one, it's trying to be like a grizzled cop movie with a really silly concept and it doesn't have any of those characters like Gary Busey in Point Break that are injecting those kinds of goofy lines into it. Right. Ted Levine is the closest thing. So the guy from Silence of the Lambs, the bad guy in that movie. Talk about a deep voice, Ted Levine. But he's the Gary Busey in this movie. A, he's barely in it. And when he is, he doesn't really have any of those zinger lines. No, he's rock solid in the performance. He's not fun. He's not silly. He's not, give me two. (laughs) There's no give me two. There's no like speaking to the microphone squid lips kind of moment (laughs) or anything like that. That was another aspect of the whole thing that rang super weird to me. You delay the reveal that Paul Walker's character... They really do in this movie. I was surprised at how long. If you didn't know going in, if it played at a festival, which I probably didn't play at any film festival, (laughs) but if you just didn't know the story going in... The Palm Door winner, (laughs) The Fast and the Furious. Well, at least runner-up. But anyway, if you had not known what this movie is about going in, then you wouldn't know that he is an undercover agent. The way it is in Point Break from the beginning, we know right away that Keanu Reeves is. You don't get the thumbs-up scene from Paul Walker (laughs) in the rain as he's scoring a perfect score on the shooting test in the opening scenes. He gets quote-unquote arrested and brought to the secret headquarters of the cops in L.A. And you get introduced, I guess it's a joint task force with the FBI and the local LAPD. The guy that is just the token FBI hard-ass who's overseeing the whole operation. 
Just like in Point Break. Just like in Point Break. But it's utterly confusing to me because you barely get any interaction with those guys. It's I think it's maybe three times throughout the whole movie. Three briefish scenes where Paul Walker goes in to report and talk about the status of the case. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter at all. Paul Walker, for instance, says, I'm gaining his trust. At that point, he had met Dom the first time he goes in to meet them. He tells the cops and the FBI, I'm getting into the group. I'm earning their trust. A little bit more time and they'll tell me everything. The FBI dude's like, we don't have time for that. We got to do it right now. Yeah, what's the rush? What's the rush? And then later on, he tells them, you got 36 hours and then you're off the case. What is the big rush? These guys are robbing transport trucks of... DVD players. Talk about dating the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Why does this have to be cracked right the second? And then like at Point Break, those guys were going to leave for months on end. Yeah, there was a ticking clock there. So that made some sense, but they're not going anywhere. They all live in LA. They've all lived there their whole lives. They have the shop. They have the house. They aren't going anywhere. And it's not like it's particularly dangerous crime. They just seem to be robbing trucks on constantly deserted roadways. Yes. And they never think... There's no traffic in the city at all. Right. They never think to pull the trucks over. We see two robbery scenes in both cases it's when they're moving just for the sake of thrills obviously and that's fine it's there'd be no movie but just like in point break we talked about how just block papa should shoot the tires in the big chase scene and those yeah. three guys get in and Bodie's supposed to but doesn't so they take the getaway car shoot the tires they're not going to go anywhere not going to go very far same with this either pull the truck over or shoot out the tires and then steal the stuff you've got cars that are going to outrace this transport you're fast enough and agile enough that you're doing the christmas vacation move of sliding underneath the transport truck i've made a note about that too that was played for comedy 12 years before this and this time it's played for badassness michelle rodriguez is the one who does that right isn't this i think so i think so why not just pull ahead of the transport truck Park your car, box him in, and make him slow down. It's freaking bizarre from that perspective. And then the end robbery, when we know for sure it's their group, it's the same thing in Point Break, where it's this whole mislead at somebody else, but it really is our heroes. And it's (laughs) DVD players. DVD players were pretty cool back then, and that was the technology. Laserdisc had, if not by then, certainly soon after lost the fight. Yeah. Tapes weren't that cool. Blu-rays were in the future. Listen, tapes will always be cool, right? (laughs) I can't even play tapes anymore. I don't even have a VCR over there. My Betamax will never die. (laughs) But the reason why it's DVD players, I think, is that that's not such a heinous crime. So we can forgive Dom and his team. It's a team. That's not bad. <laughs> and then, of course, later on, it's family. I so they're doing something illegal, but it's not as bad as robbing banks or pushing drugs like in Point Break. They're stealing stuff. Not cool, but they're stealing DVD players. That doesn't really hurt anybody except for the company that owns them. You're right. And to be fair, this movie does go to pretty extreme lengths to try to both make Dom's character... A badass who's dangerous. But also a nice guy. But also a nice guy who's really not that bad, but life circumstances have penned him into a corner, which doesn't really ring true to me. The history with his father and all that. Why he went to jail. I ain't never going back. I'll die before I go back. And his reaction to problems is to go for shotguns and try to take Mm. out his enemies. Yeah, I don't really buy that, guys. I'm sorry, but... I guess that's probably the rationale for it. But again, what's the big deal? You want to stop these guys because they're freaking dangerous, I guess. They're stunt driving on public roadways. Although, again, this takes place in L.A. And you barely ever see any scenes of traffic ever. I think Mm -hmm. there's two. And one of them is to demonstrate what a badass driver Paul Walker is when they're driving to the restaurant with Dom so that he can tell him, I want in on your gig. And at that point, all I'm thinking is... God, man, Paul Walker's a total dick. Everyone's just trying to get somewhere on this highway, and he's cutting into oncoming traffic to try to impress Dom, risking innocent lives on public roads. When they do the street racing scene, there's really only one I can think of, which is Sergio Leone-esque and how long it takes to actually get to the race. There's a huge buildup. Yeah. It's like that kind of stuff in Good and Bad and the Ugly, where the shootout takes seconds, but the buildup is about 912 minutes. You mean but the... same with this, where they block off all the roads, and okay, it takes yes, forever yeah. to actually get to the race. It's a quarter mile with these fast cars. That would take a few seconds to do. But the race seems to take, I don't know, five minutes to get through. Again, that's a movie. That's how that works. But when all those people are blocking off the side streets so they can race in the first place, definitely in L.A. or any city, people are going to get there to go straight, turn left, turn right, start honking horns, being a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. Those who have cell phones are going to start saying, I can't get through here. I'm trying to drive here. I'm trying to drive here, man. And they would have to block off the streets for a long enough time that that would have got broken up before. Yeah. And I had a nutshell. My nutshell actually now is... Oh, yeah, nutshell it. Go, speed racer, go, speed racer, go. But my nutshell was going to be... What are you doing? Nutshell it one more time. Sing this for me. Get your motor on and... Bam, 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 bam. Head out on the highway. There we go. Steal some DVD players. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. That's your nutshell. But my original nutshell was going to be... The hell with these guys. They should go to jail. All of them. 
They're yes. tying up traffic. It's dangerous. This isn't fun. It's just dangerous. I'm 46 years old now, incidentally, yeah. so forgive me for that. We hinted at this when we talked about doing this movie, and certainly when we talked to each other, no two people were less equipped to talk about this movie in the way that fans deserve to talk about it, because we're both crotchety, middle-aged white guys that drive pretty basic cars. I know a little bit about how cars work, but the extent of my mechanical history with a car might be replacing a flat tire, filling up my windshield washer fluid... And replacing the odd windshield wiper itself. And that's about it. I've done two of those three things. Now, I guess I've done the tire thing, but don't know how to do it, really. Yeah, so talking about souping up cars and street racing, maybe not terribly qualified. If I learned anything from this movie, is you also don't need to be terribly qualified to write a movie about street racing. Because the things they talk about in this... The Johnson Rod! It's the Johnson Rod, I tells you. Because... <laughs> You mentioned that first street racing scene. Paul Walker's trying to infiltrate whatever mystery gang is robbing these trucks at that point. We don't know who it is. He loses that race. He does. The first scene of the movie, he's poised at what looks like a marked out racetrack of some kind. There's cones all over the place. And he screws up his time. He doesn't hit the top speed he wanted. And he's cursing. But then he's pulled over next to a median or something. It looks like he's on a public roadway, which is super confusing. And he also had the same logoing on his car that he had throughout the movie, at least until he wrecked or the green car got shot up, which included NOS logos on it. So he screws up his time trial, whatever the hell he was doing. And then later in the garage that he's working at now, or the parts store, I guess. It's not a garage, right? It's a parts store. Mm. He says, I need NOS. I need the two big tanks. And then his boss does the obligatory, no, it's too dangerous. You're too much of a loose cannon. You'll blow yourself up or whatever. (laughs) And all I could think of was, you already had the NOS logos decaled on your car, and you didn't even have NOS in it at that point, so you were just an enormous poser until you installed that stuff. I also realized that everybody in this world, according to this movie, just likes to put logoing and decals on their car to indicate what parts they put in. Car after car is just a laundry list of the part suppliers. pay for the movie, probably. I mean, 100%. It was just hilarious to me. So anyway, he installs the NOS into his car, and then he's going into this race against Dom... And he punches both NOS canisters. And of course, it's 2001, so you have to highlight the height of 2001 technology, including the laptop that he has for some reason Mm. set up next to him that is flashing warning signs at him. While driving. While driving. That's also dangerous. And he just ignores it anyway. The thing says manifold failure. And the manifold is like the air intake or exhaust. So it's like the thing on the hood of your car or down to the exhaust of your car. When the thing flashes manifold failure, and then he's like, oh, shut up, and then he punches the second NOS tank anyway. The floor plate on the passenger side of the car that starts spraying washers and bolts comically all yep. over the place. Mm-hmm. And then the floor just falls off the it car. sparking everywhere. If you fire up NOS, it's injecting oxygen, essentially. Nitrogen. Steroids and- for cars. Well, it is, because you get it hot enough, it breaks apart the molecule, and you get more concentrated oxygen into the combustion chamber, so it burns more efficiently, and it burns hotter. Is and the- it nitrous oxide? Yeah, N2O. So it breaks down into two parts, nitrogen, one part oxygen, but it's still more densely oxygenated than the air. It fires the stuff harder and hotter, so the pistons will run faster and the car will go faster, right? You'll get more torque out of it. So what will normally happen is if you screw up the calculations on installing one of these things, you'll crack the engine casing or you'll crack a piston or something, but you're not going to explode the floor off of your car. (laughs) I had to rewind it like three times. Like, what happened here? What make of car is this? It was badly designed and badly made. And not only that... A scene or two later, Dom gets into the car and never comments on the fact that there's no passenger floor anymore. He had limped into the finish line with this car, and Dom laughed at him because, oh, you don't know how to drive. And then two scenes later, Dom's in a car with no floor going, dude, you're the best driver I've ever seen. Looks like you've done this before. Are you a wheelman? And then, of course, like I said, 2001 technology, they have to highlight the cutting edge of stuff while they're getting away from the police. Paul Walker's character is driving Dom away. Dom's like, I, I had... Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I had... No, I can't do it either. That's not bad. I had the ADD character in this movie do a workup on you. He searched the web and, <laughs> and got the full profile. They had to put in the reference to using the internet in a really cool way. Right. Well, because Brian saves Dom from the cops, that's why he's in. Plus, he's yeah. not a bad enough racer. He doesn't serve to be in in some ways because he almost won that race. He was yeah. close. He was right there, except Dom won at the end. The other guys weren't even close. The one guy who's going to get two ladies at once... And then then you got no ladies at once. Yeah, that's a feeling I know too well. Well, you talked about the screenplay. So Gary Scott Thompson, Eric Burquist, and David Ayer. That's a name we know. He did Training Day that same year and has written other pretty big movies. I wouldn't say a ton of them are great. He generally tends to write crime 
slash cop movies. I guess that's what Brian becomes. He becomes a criminal, and of course, in the first movie, he's a cop until he fully gets in with the group, and I don't think he's even a cop anymore by the fourth or fifth one, whichever one it is. Rob Cohen directed. This is the guy who did both Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and Dragon Heart, but never was involved in this series again, <laughs> despite the success. The movies got more silly, probably better made than this one was, maybe a little bit more sensical than this one was, although probably not. I was just surprised to see that. I would have thought maybe he'd be a producer on some of the other ones, but he was not involved anymore. But those guys who wrote the screenplay, gotta blame them for this, some really terrible dialogue. Things like, what's up with this fool? What is he, sandwich crazy? <laughs> well, he does love his tuna, Did right? Did Sam back there write that line? <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry, I'm sandwich crazy. What is that? It's a terrible line. It's just not even remotely close to a was good it, piece of dialogue. That was a Vince line, right? I think it's Vince, right. Not even well delivered either. He shortly thereafter had one of the best lines of the movie that I legitimately enjoyed was, you should go to Fat Burger. You can get burger fries and drink for two ninety five. I'm like, that's just good advice. Fiscally sound <laughs> meal planning right there. Thank you, Vince. I'll take that under advisement. Well, looking at Brian O'Connor's body, he's eating a lot of tuna sandwiches, but no crust. Maybe not quite this era because Breaking Bad was around 10 years later or something like that. And there's no crust in that series either. Mm. Walter takes on that trait. One of the criminals doesn't want crust in his bread. And neither does Paul Walker in this film. I'm a big crust guy. You get a fresh loaf of crusty bread. That's the best part. <laughs> I could eat that all day. I've talked before about bacon and really good grapes and donuts would be my I'm going to die food. If I'm going to die in a week or a day, I'd eat those things constantly. Like Homer, <laughs> throwing crusty bread to that mix. Your three go-to things at the same time, bacon, grapes, and what was the third Donuts. That is a melange that I don't know if I, I know. want to wait. Well, we're into. talking about if you're going to die that day or very soon. Okay. Individually, I've got no issue with any of those things. I'll point that out right I'm now. Not necessarily but... mixing and matching them, but okay. great grapes are just as good as any sweet out there. That's why I include them. That's a pretty hot take, and one that I don't know if I can quite defend for you, but I'll leave a it. A nice that. loaf of crusty bread. I'm I do love a loaf of crusty bread. Maybe all the carbs are in the crust, and we just don't know it. And that's how Paul Walker stays so oh, okay. fighting fit throughout these movies. He cuts it off. Although, crust or not, if he just keeps eating tuna sandwiches every day, I gotta believe the mercury is not too good for him. Maybe my favorite segment of this movie, most of what I liked about it might have just taken place in this first five to ten minutes. I talked about that fat burger line and the exploding floor plate in the car for some reason. And that moment where he's ordered the sandwich and he's waiting for it. He's sandwich crazy. Well, he's sandwich crazy. But at that point, he hasn't met anybody except Mia. We only get a very brief bit of dialogue from Vincent and his buddies about the new parts guy or something they say, and he's been here every day for like the last two weeks ordering the same sandwich. So they don't know who he is. We haven't really been introduced to his backstory yet, so we don't know a lot about him. He's waiting for a sandwich, and Dom is in the back room. No dialogue for a while for him, either. He's just the mysterious, imposing figure at that point. Rob, make me mysterious. I can't do his voice. I'm going to keep trying, but... It sounds like something, but it doesn't sound like Vin. So at that point, you don't know who Dom is, necessarily. But he gets up to go to the fridge and just get a can of Coke or something. He turns, and he and Paul Walker just share this intense gaze. Vin Diesel and Paul Walker staring at each other. Because this movie, just like Point Break, is about male love. Way more than it is about heterosexual love. Later on, you find out what Paul Walker's character is all about. You understand, okay, he's tracking Dom. He's eyeballing the guy because he's following his every move. But Dom sees this guy just staring the hell out of him, and he stares back. Yeah, that was weird. And then sits down and continues to drink his pop while Paul Walker stares the dude down. It's the most uncomfortable moment, and they linger on the shot of the two of them staring at each other. And you're right, it does turn into a bromance later. But The series more so than this movie, but this movie starts it, of course. Well, even in this movie, by the end of it, Paul Walker's got the man crush on Dom at this point. There's no question about it. He has it, to right? let him go, because yes, he owes him that car, but also he can't have sex with him if Dom goes to jail. I never go back. You're saying there's no conjugal rights in the state? Is that the problem? He can't take that risk. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Paul Walker is not willing to take that risk. And maybe that's why he tells Vin Diesel earlier in the movie, Dom says to him at one point, after he finds out that Brian is going to date his sister, mm -hmm. if you break her heart, I'll break your neck. And Brian says, that's not going to be a problem or that's not going to happen. Are you saying he says that not because he intends to love Mia forever, but because he intends to love Dom forever and Mia is his beard and so he's willing to put yeah. up with that sham forever yeah. and be close to Dom? Yeah, and then they have a kid wow. together, and he's thinking about Dom when that happens. And then he just goes and dies in reality. <sighs> but in the storyline, he drives off because he can't live with this anymore. He's got to get away from the guy that he's loved all this time. That actually, even though I'm not a fan of these movies, as I've already made clear, Furious 7 was one of the better ones in this series. Yeah. At the end of that, I heard about it long before I saw the movie. And then when I actually did see it, I didn't cry, but I was pretty touched. 
And the way that they made Paul Walker still be alive in those movies because he died during filming. They used yes. his brothers and they used visual effects. In that last shot, when he smiles at Dom and they part ways and then the movie goes to credits, when you watch that closely, you can see that it doesn't look quite real, but it's close enough. It's not like his face is hanging there in midair. They make it work quite well. But it must have been from some other scene where he was just smiling. Yeah. But a good way to end his character. So I'm making fun of the fact that they want to be together all the time. But the way they actually play it out was pretty touching because they have to acknowledge we're not going to have Paul Walker in any other future movies of course. to let him drive off on his own. But now Jordana Brewster comes back for this newest one. I don't know what exactly her role is, but then she is in the family. Family. So I guess it makes some sense. And maybe they're going to just say that Brian has died. Maybe they're going to say he got cancer or he was... Well, he can't be a cop anymore and die on the job. But anyway, maybe they're going to acknowledge that that's why she's back with her brother because her husband and her son... Well, then her son should still be alive. But her husband... I don't know. We don't know yet. The movie's out in May. But I'm just speculating here. The beautiful I'm putting mind. more thought on this movie than they did. <laughs> the beautiful mind-esque sequence of calculations that's going through your head right now as you're trying to puzzle through the potential future screenplay for Fast 9. You can make fun of Paul Walker's performance in this movie, and I think... And you should. He was it, never a great actor. He's really funny in Pleasantville, which Bev and I covered a couple of years ago. I love him in yeah, Pleasantville. Yeah, he is. Although, then again, this same year, he mentioned Ted Levine. Ted Levine is the bad guy menacing Paul Walker, and I forget their names now. One of them, Steve Zahn, and Lily Sobieski in Joyride. Pretty good thriller. If you haven't seen it, I'd recommend checking that out. Very huh. same year as this, 2001. I have never and Walker's seen it. okay in that, but he was never the greatest actor. So when he died, yeah. one of those I didn't wish for the guy to die. It's a sad story, but it's not like we lost some great thespian the way we did when Philip Seymour Hoffman died. Of course, might be his polar opposite actually, physically and talent-wise. <laughs> yeah, in both respects, Paul Walker, whatever his attributes might be as an actor, he's very stilted in this movie. Like you said earlier, it's one of those comparables to Keanu in Point Break. But where Keanu's stiltedness in Point Break just becomes kind of entertaining and funny if you really give yourself to it. I never felt the same way about Paul Walker in Agreed. this movie. Vin Diesel's performance is better, but it's still weird because he doesn't quite have the range to pull off some of the emotional pathos. There's various points where the screenwriters want you to get behind him. I beat the tar out of this guy with a wrench because mm. he nicked my father on a professional. And the father died, yeah. Yeah. And a terrible backstory, not a terrible reason for why he would go to jail. No, but I just don't think he pulled it off as an actor quite. Well, true. Well. He's actually quite good in Saving Private Ryan, one of his first movies. People love Boiler Room a couple years after that. I, and I do. I don't I like remember that. I saw it once. I don't remember that movie that very well. And he does a good job with the voiceovers with Groot and, of course, the Iron giant which is a really good movie but most of his career he's not been particularly great actor the last witch hunter which is a stupid yeah. stupid movie okay but his performance i like a lot in it because it's kind of like nicholas cage level weird almost but neither one of them is great and their performances in this movie in particular are more than worthy of making fun of as is their characters relationships but one of the most touching things i've seen in recent years is after paul walker passed away the end of Fast 7 is very touching in itself. But hearing Vin Diesel speak about Paul Walker as a person and their relationship behind the scenes, that will make you tear up more than anything well, else. I believe it, yeah. And you mentioned one of the themes throughout the franchise is family and all of that. And say what, you, say what you will about the cast, I do not like Michelle Rodriguez and basically anything she's done. Well, she'd lose that snarl. She was really getting that down back at this oh, point. Oh, man. Uh, tell me about it. And a movie I, that we actually might cover this year at some point, because it'll be 20 years old this year, is Girl Fight. It's her debut. Never heard of you haven't her. heard of it? She's a no. boxer in that. Karen Kusama, the director, has been back with a few movies, including The Imitation, Girl a pretty good fight. horror film, which is on Netflix, The Imitation. But that was, I think, the first for both of them. Certainly the first for Rodriguez. And that was a good role for her to be the snarl and the tough ass and everything like that. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of hers either because of that, but she's been better in more recent years. She missed two, three, and five in this series, and she's been back That's ever right. since. Has an amnesia. She's been a bad guy and a good guy, and God knows what else. She has sex scenes with Diesel in this movie. They were dating for real, I was reading, during this movie. Were they really? That's what I was reading. Oh, good for them. But I'm not a huge fan of hers either. I agree with that. And Brewster, oh. even though she's so cute, is not a very good actress. Most of the guys in that gang, I don't think they're particularly great either. The best one of the group might be the younger kid that's got the ADD. Chad Lindbergh, yeah. Yeah. He was in October Sky, which I've talked about a few times in yeah, the last few years. He? Yeah, he's one of the four boys in that, along with Jake Gyllenhaal. And then I guess he died, right? Because I took a note when the movie was almost over and saying, why was he never in the future movies? I looked at his resume and he's not in any of the sequels, but I guess he's supposed to die, right? He's supposed to die. I think that's supposed to precipitate the whole thing at the end where both Paul Walker and Vin Diesel go chasing him. They have to go after Tran, yeah. Yeah. Johnny Tran. So whatever you might think about the group individually and their performances or abilities as an actor, one thing I totally would buy, especially once you start watching later movies where they're all back together, is that as a group, they legitimately like each other and that family thing comes through. But that's one of those things that benefits 
the vibe of the movie a little bit is that you get a sense that when you're having those scenes with the barbecue back and they're having beers and Vinny's being a big suck, of course, and he comes back later. But And he kisses Dom in the head, doesn't he? That's a bit of a nice touch. That felt very Godfather-esque to me. Hey, man, I'm sorry I was a baby. You were right. You're still the big bad daddy of the group and mm. I'll behave myself kind of thing. And also Dom, since he seems to be in love with Brian through this whole series, maybe he appreciated that the guy was kissing him on the head in the first place. It could be. Smoocheroo. And Vince is the one who's hanging up the side of that truck at the end. Yeah. Just make the truck stop somehow so you can save your buddy. Having his arm almost ripped off. I guess Vince just lives. We don't really... Do we get a payoff on that? He gets airlifted out by the paramedics. Right. You're left to okay. assume he lives, right? But that's Back to the Future Part 3-esque at the end. Pretty exciting, except in Back to the Future Part 3, they have to keep on that train. And I guess the point in that sequence, which I love, the Back to the Future movies are three of my favorites ever, especially the first one, but even the other two. The climax of the first one is one of the greatest ever, but the one on the train at the end is great too. And I think this is aping that in a lot of ways. The same kind of thing where somebody's hanging off the side and we gotta save him or he's gonna fall and die. Back to the Future 3, you're talking where the train's pushing the car to get it up to the speed. Okay. Mm -hmm. At the very, or very close to the very end of this movie is when Dom and Brian are racing, where Brian is quote unquote chasing Dom and they jump the tracks right in front of the Oh, the that too, train. right. Which is also reckless and dangerous. You might well, get a lot saying. of people killed. That train would derail. They might kill a lot of people because you guys have to show off your penises. Exactly. When it comes to like saving Vinny off the side of the transport truck. And speaking of transport trucks, these are the most dedicated truck drivers oh, yeah. I've ever seen. If a group of weird stunt drivers fired some sort of grappling hook line into the front of my truck and started grappling over in the midst of highway traffic, I'd just be like, nuts to this, and pull the truck over. You can have the DVD players, guys. Just take them. Exactly, yeah. Instead, this guy whips out the shotgun and starts firing away. He's going to murder these guys for trying to rob him. That's not really commensurate no, to no, the crime. Exactly. And he's reloading while driving down the highway and stuff. This is the first time I've seen this movie since it was in the theaters. In 2001, I don't think I got the same level of detail that you get watching an HD version of it now. This movie does not necessarily benefit at certain points from HD. And this whole sequence, because it's a rather long sequence too. It is, yeah. Once everything goes bad and Vince gets tangled up in the side of the truck and all that starts happening and Paul Walker shows up to save the day, mm-hmm. Paul Walker bangs out the roof of his car and then it cuts away to a wide-angle shot of the truck and the cars driving side-by-side side with Paul Walker. And it's one of those moments where the stunt double is maybe six inches taller than Paul Walker. <laughs> clearly is wearing a wig that only vaguely resembles Paul Walker's <laughs> hair. Paul Walker jumps over to the truck. But then when he's hanging on the side of the truck next to Vince, the safety harness that he's wearing... Was and, visible? And the attached wire was not only visible, because I don't fault productions for the safety of their actors. And if you can hide it a little bit, fine. But there was an enormous carabiner attached to the side of the truck (laughs) with a thick metal line that ran into Paul Walker's pants. I'm like, guys, you're not even trying to hide it at this point. Again, it's, I think, one of those things when you upsample a movie to HD from the original footage. Oh, it shows up even more. Maybe it blended more into the side of the truck in the original release of it. You didn't notice it because it's certainly not something I took away from my first viewing of this movie 19 years ago. Well, it's funny because Rob Cohen directed Dragonheart, which is a movie that's all about visual effects. And as I recall, they were well done. I think they were nominated for an Oscar. This isn't really visual effects you're talking about so much, but visual effects would have helped that. Visually erased stuff, you could do that in 2001. Or just set it up slightly differently, or at least the angle of the camera slightly differently, so that Paul Walker's body is blocking Mm. the safety harness that he's wearing. Mm -hmm. Going back to Point Break as a comparator again, the scene where Keanu jumps out of the plane to chase after Bodhi, and he's not wearing a parachute. If you watch that scene now, again, in HD, you can see that the Keanu stunt double's body is weirdly turtled. His back is a huge actual parachute, yeah. Because there's a parachute under the guy's shirt. You play into the fiction and you forgive it because they've at least made their best efforts to hide the thing. It's when it's just slapping you in the face that I'm like, oh, come on, guys. At least give it halfway of an effort. And it's the same reason why the whole Dom getting into the car with no floor and never making a single comment about that fact as they're chasing or being chased by police. You've made no effort. If he had just gone in and be like, what the hell's wrong with your car? And then yeah, away one line, one yeah. line, it fixes all of it. But it's one of those things where they clearly shot scenes maybe out of sequence and didn't know. It may have been rushed too because Diesel was the hot property around this time. It may be Walker oh, to some degree was, yeah. too, and they maybe had a short production schedule and had to get through as fast as possible. So there's no time to rewrite dialogue, even though they really should have made time for that, or to get things done as well as they could have. Because the sequels may be ridiculous, but as I recall, they're pretty well made. 
And they do get visual effects heavy because of some of the crazy ass stuff they're doing. And yeah. if you've seen the trailer for the next one, wow, I don't think I'll see it on the big screen any more than the other ones, but it is impressively made by the looks of it. Yeah, but there's still something, and we've talked about, uh, speaking of Keanu, the John Wick franchise as an example. I like all three movies, much like I like, as a stupid piece of entertainment, many of the movies in the Fast and Furious franchise. But my favorite is still the first one. Because it's the core elements of what the franchise would mm. become done in the best way possible. That third one was pretty bloated. It was maybe the most impressive, but it's also way too long. Well, that's it. They get more impressive in their scale and their visual effects, but I think at a certain point you start losing the plot a little bit, or it gets to a point where it's so ridiculous that you're just like, come on, this is a step too far. Tilly agrees. Tilly agrees. She was nodding vigorously. <laughs> when you get to the stage where nuclear subs are chasing cars or vice versa. They're going like, to space in this next one. If not this one, then definitely in time. Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> They'll somehow find a way to launch a Chevy Chevelle into space. They're going to Stellar by 12. <laughs> Hit the NOS! We gotta catch that rocket! <laughs> oh, I really desperately hope that Elon Musk and Tesla or SpaceX integrates with this franchise some way and you get a scene with musk and dom where he's saying all right if you hit this that'll be the nos on the booster rocket and then this will be the whatever the hell on that booster rocket because that would be a fantastic synergy of real life and movie branding and if these shot. movies keep making so much money then they're going to do big things like that without a doubt because they keep on being giant hits no matter what happens no matter how ridiculous they are yeah. so let me get some numbers of the way i should have done this long ago the movie was called Wild Speed in Japan. Isn't that fun? I really applies like to the truck chase at the end, especially Wild Speed. <laughs> wild Speed. Go baby. Wild Speed. Go Wild Speed. It was released by Universal on June 22nd, 2001. It was a big hit, like we said. The critics didn't like it that much. 53% of them liked it. That's it. That is a Rotten Tomato. 5.4 to 10 is an average. And 74% of audiences, so they did like it. The reviews bottomed out with Part 4 in 2009. But then, I think The Rock joined Part 5, we said, right? That's when the money and basically the critical acclaim. I don't think any of the movies since then have had a Rotten Tomato. And that was Fast Five. So ever since then, for whatever reason, they took off making giant amounts of money. And the critics responded. Obviously, audiences did too. This was 14th of 2001 at the box office. Harry Potter, the first one, was number one. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring was number two. Bev and I covered that many years ago. Ali, a movie we might cover one day. Maybe we'll wait till next year when it'll be 20 years old. It's, a, of course, a boxing movie. was number 41. And Hardball, which is a movie I've talked to you about several times. Mm -hmm. Baseball movie Keanu Reeves is in that. was 62nd. That's a movie that I've liked way more in retrospect than I did the very first time I saw it. They shot Fast and the Furious all around L.A., not surprisingly. It's an L.A.-based movie. And there was a Fast and the Furious in 1954 by Roger Corman. So that infamous yes. producer did that one, the exact same title, Never seen that one. I'm sure it isn't quite the same budget or star power even that this one had. I don't even know who's in that movie. Yeah, how much NOS was involved in that version of uh, Fast and Furious? A little less. Apparently, Roger Corman traded the name rights to the Fast and the Furious to Universal in exchange for access to some of Universal's stock footage, presumably for some movie he was making, which I thought was a really funny exchange to make. I would think if a big movie studio came to you and was like, hey, Roger... We want the title of the movie you made 47 years ago or whatever it was at that time. You would at least hold out for a little bit of money and not just a little bit of footage that they've got sitting around in the vault somewhere, but whatever is important to you. Fast and the Furious is a good title. doesn't really apply to this movie, I don't think. They're not very furious. <laughs> oh, Furious George. And, yeah. All the other cops and FBI agents are like, it's Dom and it's Dom's crew that are doing this. And Paul Walker's like, no, it can't be Dom, man. Dom is measured. He's very calculating. He doesn't lose his cool. He is the furthest thing from Furious. Right. But he went to jail for killing a guy. Or maybe badly wounding a guy, I guess it was. But yeah, that's right. Dom is not really Furious. He gets Furious at the end, I suppose. I don't when, know if Paul like, Walker Jesse can... Jesse gets blown away. I don't know if Paul Walker can play Fury. <laughs> Paul Walker playing Fury would be like Keanu Reeves playing emotionally distraught. Why can't I ever say what I mean? <laughs> that would be like, I'm so furious. You are responsible for introducing me to something, the pitch meetings... Oh, yes, right. Bit on YouTube. I've been binge-watching those. Cause Highly recommend those, by the way. If you didn't hear it, he just said a minute ago. It's Pitch Meeting, and it's by Screen Rant. Yeah. Follow them on YouTube. A lot of their stuff isn't that good, but just the Pitch Meeting stuff that Ryan George does, Fantastic. excellent. Some of them are hilarious, and he has some things that he goes back to, his catchphrases. If you watch them as much as I have, you could do some of them right in sync with him because he does them all the time, but he always manages to make them, oh, yeah. almost always manages to make them pretty funny. Anyway, go ahead. One of the things he often says, it's actually not one of his go-to catchphrases, I guess, but it's because the movie needs it to happen 
or because the movie would be over if it didn't happen. Something that I thought throughout the movie is why in the holy hell would somebody do this thing? Or isn't it super convenient that this confluence of events happened right here, it right was now? super easy. Barely the convenience. Exactly. And of course, the answer is always because the movie or the movie would be over if it didn't happen. And one of those instances is Jesse, right? The ADD kid. Like I said earlier, I think Chad Lindbergh is probably of that group of actors I thought did the best job with his character because he is a little bit more nuanced than the others. He's not just a rough-talking, badass driver. He's got a little bit of a history. He's afraid. He runs away from Tran. He got to show off his badass computer skills earlier when he inserted that (laughs) three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk into his state-of-the-art computer to show the pixelated renderings of the car that Paul Walker was going to end up with. But yeah, once he runs away from Tran because he bet his dad's Jetta in a race and lost... He's in big trouble because Tran doesn't like that group in general and is now apparently pissed off at Jesse for not giving up the car when he loses the race. And later on, Paul Walker arrives at Dom's house, confronts Dom. At this point, Dom knows Paul Walker's character is a cop. He exposed himself while saving Vinny to get the airlifted right. medics in. So at that point, Dom goes back to his house, I guess, to get his shotgun? Paul Walker catches up with him. And Dom goes on a little bit of a monologue about how I'm all Jesse's got. The kid has nothing except me. I need to go find him because he's rabbited. He doesn't want to go up his dad's car, so he's taken off. He doesn't know what to do. Precisely at that moment, Jesse shows up with his dad's car, gets out, and is like, Dom, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Tran and his snake pants wearing cousin show up with those Uzis that they love so much and mow Jesse down. You lose a car race, and the guy doesn't give you his car, so, so you murder him. Murder him is the next step. I would have thought that show up and say, like, give me your car or I'll kill you would be the Decap next step. Decap him, maybe. Maybe, yeah. So let's think about the coincidence of events here. Paul Walker finds Dom at exactly the right moment. That's exactly when Jesse shows up. And they're nowhere in this area, right? They're out in the middle of the desert when these races are happening. So then Jesse shows up, gets out just long enough to give a little bit of a speech about how scared he is. And then precisely at that moment, these pissed off Asian gang members show up and blow away Jesse. Super easy. Super easy. Barely an inconvenience. That seems super unlikely. (laughs) No, because the movie would be over if that didn't happen. If it was like real life and Dom just called Jesse on the cell phone that we know he had, because the cell phone was how Paul Walker traced Dom earlier in the movie... Mm then the movie would be over. So we just have to ignore that. And then Brian can give his car to Dom, and the movie isn't really over when it's over. Yeah. Well, about the depiction of the sport? Because I think it's shot like a video game a lot of the time. But then that's the big red letter scene. I guess that's why they drag it out so much. Takes so long to get to the Fury? (laughs) Well, the opening race just builds up so much. I guess you want to show other characters, like the guy who's going to get the two ladies and doesn't get either of them. I guess it's supposed to be funny. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) You really connected with that guy that failed to get the chicks that he wanted, right? One was enough for me. In fact, the one who was saying my sister or friend will join us too. Well, the one who was telling him that was better looking than the other one. But there's less sports action in this than we're really jamming this into the sports category, by the way. More so than in Point Break. Because I did have skydiving and football. Yes. And also, of course, the surfing, which was the main thing. This has car racing to a degree, but not even like in Talladega Nights or Days of Thunder. Which have a lot of flaws too, but those are organized races. And it's our choice to jam this movie into this slot. But... It's definitely better done in the sequels. The budgets got bigger. Yes. They got more experience. They got better directors, I guess, too. A lot of really talented directors have worked on this series. Justin Lin has made some of the big hits. I think it was John Singleton who directed the second one. And F. Gary Gray has done at least one of these. So really talented directors, hmm. not white guys. Maybe that's a good factor, too. I don't know if that really matters or not. These movies have been international. <laughs> a lot of black people in them. Vin Diesel has... Well, he's not white. Whatever his heritage is, he's not white. I don't think Rodriguez seems to be Hispanic. So maybe the black guys and the Asian guy give it more of a spin in that way and have made better movies in the series that other people, as I said before, have loved. They may have liked this one, but most people like this series probably like the later ones better. I think it found its footing later on. What score would you give it, by the way? I said five when I was being generous, and six I said 19 years ago. I'd say about five, too, because there are scenes that are kind of goofy and fun taken individually, but as a whole, I feel like the tone of the movie is all over the place. It doesn't know what it wants to be. The depiction of street racing for a movie that is supposed to fixate on how cool these cars are and how souped up and fast they are, you get damn little of it. The best depiction of that kind of thing is when Brian is chasing Dom at the end of the movie. Yeah. When Dom finally busts out, I think it's an old Chevelle, His right? dad's old car, yeah, they worked on together and all that, yeah. 900 horsepower, he says, and so much torque generated that it twisted the frame of the car the only time his dad drove it. 
other than that, there's not a whole lot of really fun racing scenes. A lot of what you said is very video game-esque in that it's shot tight to the car and they shaky cam it to mm. make it feel all... It doesn't feel real either. Even in an exaggerated way, it doesn't feel real. The depiction is not great. And I think, like you said, it gets better in future movies. One of the more interesting examples of that, I think, is actually the third movie, the Tokyo Drift version of this franchise, which is my least favorite of any of the Fast and Furious movies I've seen. But as far as the car racing depicted... The drifting that they do in that movie is at least the coolest actual stunt driving you might see in a real-world scenario. Once you get further on in the franchise, the driving is so outlandishly contrary to physics Mm -hmm. and utterly unbelievable that you realize, okay, it's all just wires and ramps and CGI at that point. I think they said, not even in the most recent movies, but maybe Fast 5, 6, or 7... They wrecked something like 300 cars in the various jumps just getting the shots that they needed. The weirdest depiction in this movie to me of anything is maybe that it's all a series of segmented gangs by race. You have the Latino gang that has a group of racers. You have the Asian gang that we deal with a lot in this, and they're mostly bikers, but they have some racer cars. Of course, Dom's group is essentially all white. I guess Michelle Rodriguez is part of that gang. Diesel can't just be. I don't know what his heritage is, but he's not white, I don't think. But it's mostly just a white gang. I think Ja Rule's got a bit part in this, and they've mm-hmm. got like, his group in it. But it's like a weirdly racialized, mm-hmm. segmented group. And then, like you said, it becomes more integrated as the series goes on. Dom's family gets to be family, gets to be black guys, at least a few of them. The Tyrese character and the Ludacris characters yeah. that are become mm-hmm. regulars later And the Asian on. guys. Isn't there a Tran or something? Han? Because Tran's the bad guy in this, yeah. Yes. What about the score factor? Walker is dreamy. He's a really good looking guy, especially at this time frame. Okay, he is really good looking. And then you got Jordana Brewster. I think Michelle Rodriguez is really good looking. You're not a fan. I'm not a fan of hers. But the biggest thing, okay, fair. The biggest thing about this movie would be the men in love. It's a sex fest, basically. So just like Point Break, this movie does inspire some scoring. The sole purpose of this movie is to show off some hot cars and hot Mm -hmm. women, essentially. I was trying to keep track of how many shots specifically started at a woman's ankle and tracked up to her back and then zoomed out. You ran out of fingers, didn't I you? I ran out of fingers at a certain <laughs> point, and God knows I can't count past my fingers. So it's certainly a scorable movie, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not made of stone. <laughs> how many sweaty scenes of Vin Diesel do I need before I lose all self-control? You just wait till The Rock comes in the series. Oh, boy. I'm not, so in I'm some not ways, for that. In some ways, fun, but definitely not our bag. Okay, but something that we're going to do in two weeks is our bag, and this man suggested it, and as soon as he did, I said, yes, we have to do this movie. So in two weeks, we'll be in March, and we're going to put our long shorts back on and work on our jump shots as we review Spike Lee's He Got Game. Well, you might put your long shorts on, Ryan, but I'm personally a big fan of the 1980s era of NBA, so I'll be wearing my short shorts and practicing my Larry Bird jump shot. They did have short shorts, didn't they? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this movie. It's like everything we talk about probably haven't seen for years, but come That's on. That's part of the point of this podcast. Yeah, Denzel, and I was always a big Ray Allen hater when he okay. was a player because he torched the Raptors. The guy okay. was one of the best shooters in the history of the game. And as I recall, surprisingly good in this movie. So I'm yeah, looking for forward a non-actor. to I want to see if his depiction of Jesus holds up. All right, so... We're on Twitter. He is at Scoring Gun Movies. I am at MovieFiend51. We're on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts under Top 100 Project. And the website, of course, is Top100Project.com. Okay, let me see if I can do this. You can do this. You can do this. I got faith. Take her easy, dudes. No. I know that you no. will. It was a valiant attempt. So close. I don't know why I can't do it. I feel like I can do deep voices. I'll do a rock then. Take her easy, dudes. No. I'll <laughs> a rock. I'm at Rocky. No. That, that was more Rocky. <laughs> You know what? We'll do, what did I say his name? Fred Toretto? <laughs> Take your easy, dudes! I know that you will! Get your motor running. Head it on the highway. Head it on the highway.